0: Glad that you're here today. Uh, if you're in the room, thankful for your presence, and if you're joining us online, we're thankful that you are here as well. <clears throat> um, before we do anything else, uh, I want to take just a moment, and I want to again express our appreciation for to Austin and for his willingness to share his story in, in order to help us think more honestly about this important topic today. So, will you join me in thanking him, really quickly? <clears throat> Uh, if this happens to be your first week with us during this series, we're spending some time having some honest conversations about uh, our spiritual health, our emotional health, our mental health, uh, and over the last several weeks, we've talked about topics like doubt and grief in the last two weeks, and today, we're going to talk about the topic of anxiety. And as I was thinking about today and this topic, I was, I've was been reminded of a story That actually happened back in 1932, around the time when World War II began, uh, because Germany had decided to go to war with the world. And so in the midst of this growing conflict, the the Ministry of Defense in England, uh, obviously feeling pressure from the war, feeling pressure because of their close proximity to Germany, uh, was trying to make sure that they were sort of keeping the morale of the British people up. And so they spent some money on a campaign where they printed off millions of posters that they intended to put up all over the country. And there was a series of three posters that they produced. The first poster read, Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolve will bring us victory. And they put this poster up all over England. And the second poster that came a little bit later uh, read, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. And the third poster that the British government came up with said, keep calm and carry on. Now you may have seen this poster before and not even known where it came from. There's been all sorts of versions of this poster that have been kind of spoofed on and recreated in a different way for our in our modern day world. But The the story of the posters is not even the most interesting part of the story. What's interesting is that in the government's attempts to sort of keep morale up, they put these first two posters up. They had plans to put this third poster up when Germany invaded England. The problem is that that never happened, so they never ended up putting this poster up. And it wasn't until the year 2000 when a bookstore owner in England was unloading some books off of a van and out of a box, and he discovered this poster in that box. And So he decided to hang it up in his store window, and because of that, it began to grow in popularity, and many, if not all of us, know this phrase today because of that, because you see it all the time in a lot of different ways and variations of it, like I said. Keep calm and carry on. And I want to use that story to sort of frame our conversation this morning about anxiety, because the reason the British Ministry of Defence wanted to put, you know went to great lengths to try to encourage the citizens of England is because they understood an important truth, And that is that during wartime, it is essential to win the battle in your mind. that during wartime, it's essential to win the battle in your mind. They wanted to try and help people. Remain calm while continuing on with their lives. You know, co- according to the National Institute for Health, anxiety is the number one issue for women in the United States. And it's the number two issue for men after drug and alcohol abuse, which is a way of coping with stress and anxiety. They report that one out of three teenage girls and one out of three teenage boys struggle significantly with anxiety. And it's occurring earlier and earlier, long before adolescence even at times. And there's a lot of reasons for this. We're going to dive into some of those in the panel discussion. There's a flood of information. We used to have to wait days, sometimes weeks for information. Now the news cycle turns over. It's honestly been researched and reported that it's more than we are humanly able to to bear, but we continue to subject ourselves to this ongoing onslaught of information that we weren't made to consume at such a fast pace that we are now consuming it in our modern world. And as we think about this conversation today about anxiety, about our minds, about our mental health, this is part of what we're after as well. We're, We're after trying to find ways to continue on with our lives in the midst of the battle that many of us do experience, have experienced, will experience with anxiety. And I want to say here at this point in the sermon that as we think about the conversation today, both in the sermon and the panel discussion in a little while, as we think about this conversation, if you have dealt with anxiety, you're dealing with it, Uh, The last thing that any of us want to do today is for you to leave, to say something or do something that has you leaving, feeling guilty about that, or uh, unintentionally creating anxiety about you having anxiety, right? Uh, We want to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it today. We're going to process it. We're going to think about ways to cope with the things that can cause it, but in no way do we want to create this sense of shame or guilt. I believe, as I've said before, though shame comes from the enemy, not from the Spirit of God. And so we're trying to bring, even as Austin said in his testimony, some of the things that happen into the light, into the conversation, into the public space, so we can talk about these things. And so because of the reality that we experience, we know uh, that anxiety is a, is a real thing, right, that many of us have experienced. And I want to say as well, though, that anxiety can have an appropriate place in our lives. I want to sort of distinguish and differentiate between uh, between that and maybe anxiety that's more debilitating. So you were created with a nervous system, right? This is not breaking news to any of us. We all know this. But within that nervous system, anxiety can play a healthy role. So for example, anxiety can put you in a place, put your body physically in a place to be ready to respond to a legitimate threat, right? I don't know what that thing would be for you that would trigger your need to be able to respond to a legitimate re- threat, but some of you might come across a snake, and that's all you would need. You'd be startled, you'd be spooked, and it would immediately put your body through your nervous system, put your, your nervous system would put your body into a position to be able to respond appropriately to this threat that you now see or perceive. For some of you, you know, you're like, I can deal with, sna- with snakes, but if I see a rat or a mouse, that will do the trick, right? If, if uh, I'm not going to say any names, but if for a few people that live in my house, all they have to see is a cockroach, and that immediately triggers their nervous system, right? And they begin to, be, to feel threatened, and then I have to come in and, you know, eliminate the threat of the cockroach to save the day, right? When you feel a threat, there is a part of your brain called the amygdala uh, that sends a message from your, from your brain to your body that danger is present. And this can happen for a lot of different reasons, but what happens when your amygdala is, is you know, triggered is that your heart rate, you don't obviously see all these things happening, but your, your heart rate actually increases. Adrenaline begins to course through your veins. Your pupils actually dilate. Your body prepares to fight or to take flight. This is part of what's happening in your body. And when this happens, even what's interesting is even your bowels and your bladder get ready to empty in the event, you know, that you need to shed some weight in order to hurry away as you run away from the threat. Like this is a true thing that actually happens to your body. So this form of anxiety you know, can show up in a lot of different ways, like I said. Uh, when a report is due, a test is coming. As you heard uh, Austin talk about, a first day of school for a, for a kid, it can happen for a first day of school. For a parent dropping their kid off, it can happen for a first day of school. It can happen when you stand up to speak in front of other people. And a lot of times, those, those moments where your nervous system is triggered, the you know, amygdala sends this message that there's something that needs to be paid attention to, that, that can be completely normal. Like, your body was made to respond in that way. And so there's no reason to feel any question or shame about that at all. But there are other times when our anxiety can be rooted in, let's say, a traumatic experience uh, that someone might have had. It may be caused by something that's going on in our lives that's deeper, that's deeper-seated than uh, just a perceived or or a seen threat. Or it can be something that's actually like physiologically happening within us. Perhaps there is a biochemical issue that needs to be addressed through something like medication or seeing a therapist. And so I want everybody to hear me clearly say, as clearly as I can, that one of the things I want to address this morning as we talk about this topic is it will never mean, ever mean, that you lack faith in Jesus Christ if you see a doctor, or you take a prescribed medication, or you talk to a therapist. Right? We believe that doctors and medicine and counselors are gifts from God, right? that, have been, you, that God's given people intelligence and wisdom and expertise to be able to help humans kind of live and function and survive. If you need to see a therapist or, t- or prescribe medication for anxiety, it does not mean you lack faith. But, and I want you to hear me on this part as I kind of clarify that, that what I'm, or I kind of continue to talk about what I'm saying. It could mean, it does not mean that, any, that there's a lack of faith. It could mean that you lack some of the necessary resources right, to know how to best cope with the anxiety that you're experiencing in healthy ways. In healthy ways. When we lack healthy and appropriate resources, right? We we experience anxiety and we don't know what to turn to because we just know that our body has told us we need to fight or take flight. And if we don't have resources, healthy resources at our disposal and ready and available to us, then what we often default to is unhealthy resources. Abuse of alcohol or drugs, prescription medications, pornography, busyness addiction to work, or even just distracting yourself and doomsday scrolling on your phone, right? Those are just a few examples. I mean, I could give countless other ones, but we need healthy ways of coping. And so this morning, I want us to look at the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. This is one of the places in in Scripture where the topic of anxiety comes up. And so listen to what Paul says, beginning uh, in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Our response to anxiety begins, I believe, with the recognition that the Lord is near. Often the more aware, think about it, the more aware we are of how little control we have in a given situation. Something happens, your body is triggered, you realize part of what your body is realizing is you don't have control, so you either need to fight to take control or take flight to leave the situation. And when something happens internally and it creates anxiety in us, there may not be anything to physically fight or take flight from, so it gets confusing, the more aware we are of how little control we've been given in a situation then, the more anxious we, we can become. Let me say that again. The more aware of how little control we have been given or we have in a particular situation, the more anxious we sometimes become. And this is why people try to cope with their anxiety by becoming control freaks. That's one of the responses that can happen to an anxiety-inducing event or anxiety that's happening physically in your body. And then there are others at times who are experiencing anxiety who start grasping for control after they're anxious. So so what do you do when anxiety is rising and increasing in you physically in your body? Paul says you turn your attention to this reality, the Lord is near. Our awareness of God's nearness changes the way we respond to anxiety anxiousness. Our awareness of God's nearness to us changes or can change the way we respond to anxiousness. Paul also says, tells us to rejoice in the midst of our anxiety. What's that about, right? He's not calling them to rejoice. When things happen to you, he's not saying, man, those were really terrible things that happened to you. You need to be happy that they happened to you. That's not what he's saying. Not rejoicing over your circumstances or things that have happened. He's telling them to rejoice in the midst of their circumstances. Sometimes what we tend to do, and I'll go first in confessing this, is that we replace worship or rejoicing in our lives with worry. And and we pay the price for it. Physically in our bodies. This is part of the reason that Jesus invites us to, to let go of those worries and those anxieties that, can, that we can carry. Because we have, he says, you, you can't, there's, there's enough problems for today, right? Don't worry about tomorrow before you even get there. You don't even know if you'll get there. Dallas Willard tells this story. This really powerful story about a little boy whose mom had died. And because of this tragedy, this little boy had a hard time going to sleep. And so, uh, this little boy's dad came to the you know the conclusion that the best thing that his son needed was just to sleep in the bed with him, with his dad. And so, he as they laid in bed each night, Dallas Willard says that this little boy continued to have a hard time to go to sleep, and he kept asking his dad. The lights were off in the room. And they were trying to go to sleep, and he kept asking his dad the same question over and over and over until he fell asleep. And the little boy would ask dad, because he couldn't see him, he said, Dad, is your face still turned toward me? Are you still looking my way? And the dad would have to reassure him, yes, son, my face is turned toward you. The boy didn't want to just lay in the bed near his dad. He didn't, want to just, he didn't want just for God to be near, though that would have been enough. He wanted to be sure that his dad's body was turned so that his face, the dad's face, was facing his little boy. And there was something comforting to that little boy about that reality. One time when Olivia was much younger than she is now, and I was having a distracted parenting moment, staring at my phone, scrolling, looking at something. She had called my name several times, and I had failed to pay attention because I was locked in in my own little world and doing my own little thing, which we can do. And so she walked over to me, and she put both of her hands on my cheeks, and she said, Dad, and she turned my head face toward her. And there's, there's something about this idea, there's this scripture talks about, right, that God turns his face toward his people. God is not distracted like, like I was. God is paying attention. God has his face turned toward you. God is near, Paul says. And knowing, church, that our Father, our father has, has his face turned toward us and knowing that we can experience God's nearness has the power to bring us peace. But head knowledge, Paul knows, is not enough. We can't just know things. There are There's some value in knowing some things when it comes to topics like this. right? And sometimes you can kind of do some self-talk, some coaching, and you can kind of get yourself to a better place. But sometimes head knowledge is not enough. This is why, why Austin said, go to therapy if you need that. There are other resources and steps that some sometimes need to be accessed. And Paul knows this. Paul actually, I think... And what he's going to say next, he knows that we need a spiritual practice. We need something to replace the anxiety and the worry that we experience. We need a spiritual practice. So listen to what he says, continuing in verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a lot there to unpack and think about. But I want to I want to start by saying that one really interesting thing about this these two verses is that a few years ago Amazon did a study. And according to the research that they did out of all of their online versions of the Bible that people can read on their phones or on their iPads or on their Kindle app or whatever it might be, right? of all the, the online Bible versions that people can access through Amazon, through their website, their, their platform, the most highlighted verse out of all their online versions of the Bible globally is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Now I want just, just want you to kind of sit with that for a second. That seemed, that seemed really significant to me when I came across that, that statistic. It's interesting, right? Like, I think it's because people are hungry for peace, and they're looking for answers, and they need a spiritual practice. They want less anxiety, and they, wanna, they know that they need to do something as a result to kind of pursue that path. And so let's look at what Paul says here that would draw such attention from people around the planet, right? When Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, he's not saying to not, not ever be anxious, Remember, I talked a minute ago, there are times when anxiety can be helpful. That sometimes is the way we've been taught, like, you know, when you look at this verse that you should never be anxious. If you've been anxious at all, it's always bad. But the word that he uses is he's describing when someone lives in sort of this perpetual state of anxiety, this ongoing sort of kind of giving yourself over to it and just, kind of living there in that space. And Paul's saying, he's saying you don't have to live in that place. Anxiety is is an unorganized, think about it this way, it's an unorganized emotion in the body. There's looking for some organization. And in that reality, God does not leave us alone. We have spiritual resources that we can access to help us when we feel anxious. Tools that we can access to help us keep calm and carry on. And Paul says that one of those tools, one of those resources is to pray in every situation. That there is nothing too insignificant or too small to pray about. And if you're, if you're a parent, you understand this, right? Because there are times where your kids come to you, your children, your grandchildren, if you're a grandparent, they come to you And they want to tell you something, and they're concerned about it. And you understand, as someone who's a little bit older, that the thing that they're concerned about, I'm not minimizing the thing they're concerned about, it's very real to them. But you know, because you've lived more life, that they're going to be okay, right? But they still bring it to you, because they know that you are the place that they need to go in order to access help that they need. And I think that what happens is that as we get older, we get less will, we become less willing to go to, that, go to God in the same way. We begin to think, often incorrectly, that we can do it on our own. We'll just kind of you know, pull ourselves together and power through. And you know, if, if we're struggling or suffering, we won't ask anybody for help. I don't need to ask anybody for help, we think a lot of times. He says, nothing is too insignificant or too small to go to God with. He says, by prayer and petition is another phrase in this verse. Sometimes we can default to only praying when we have a request. And so that our relationship with God becomes really, you know, it's like I hear God are the things I want you to do, fix, solve, heal, save, rescue, redeem, Right? But there's not, it's not truly, I mean, if you, I've said it before in other settings, if you have a relationship like that with any person in your life, it is probably not one of your favorite relationships, honestly, because someone might come to you and every time they come to you, it's not, they don't really want a relationship, they just want you to, they just, they have something they want you to fix, right? And sometimes we can default to only praying when we have a request, but there is more to prayer than you and I just simply making a petition, that is part of it. But he says, by prayer and petition, there is also praise and intercession, praying for other people. There is sitting in silence. Sitting in silence is a way of praying. There's also thanksgiving, which he talks about. If I'm going to give thanks, think about this, I will have to slow down enough to become aware of what God has done in my life, to review that, and then to acknowledge that. And right here in Philippians 4, Paul provides some insight into how Spiritual, the spiritual practice of prayer and prayer functioning in a lot of different ways can help us in our journey with anxiety. You know, in thinking about today, I heard another story that I want to share that happened several years ago. Maybe you're familiar with uh, one of the reality shows that's had some popularity in recent years, the show The Deadliest Catch. It's a show, in case you're not familiar with it, it's a show uh, about the commercial fishing industry. Uh, and these fishermen that go out and they they fish for crab off the coast of Alaska and there's a very high risk of death or injury in this line of work but it is very lucrative and so people go uh, I've heard stories of you know college students taking their summer and going to make twenty thousand dollars in a summer you know just uh, some of you college students might maybe start thinking about that but let me tell you the rest of the story before you decide I actually had a friend from college who was a part of the film crew that helped film this show, which is just a little interesting side note. So a few years ago, The Deadliest Catch aired an episode that focused on the 2017 sinking of a crab boat called Destination uh, that, that had a crew full of people, all based out of Seattle. And in in the accident that took place, all six people lost their lives. What's interesting about this tragedy is not that part, obviously, that life was lost, but that a later Coast Guard investigation revealed that the boat did not have any structural damage. There was there were no holes in the ship. There was no breach of any kind. There was no evidence of any collision of any kind. The pilot it was piloted by an experienced crew, captain, and so the question began to ha- you know what happened. And the investigation you can actually find it online. The investigation. Uh, Reveals that that two things were factors in uh, the destination sinking to the bottom of the ocean and all the crew losing their lives. The first thing that happened was icing on the ship at sea. Icing on the ship was a was a significant factor. But the other factor, even more than the icing, was that the destination was carrying thousands of pounds more weight than it should have been. A bigger load, a bigger you know load, meant more money. And so they wanted to pile as much as they possibly could on top of the ship. If I'm correct, this is the last known picture of the boat that was ever taken before it crashed. But it cost the crew their lives. A bigger load meant more money, but it cost the crew their lives. And I share that story because I I think we can relate, can't we? That most of us are carrying more than we should, more weight than we should. And when we begin to get weighed down, things can feel like that they're sinking. It's interesting because the Latin word for anxiety is related to the word choking or strangling, right? When someone feels and has an anxiety attack or feels anxiety sort of welling up in them, it can include things like trouble breathing. You feel, literally feel weighed down. And this topic this morning is not just one that I'm, Talking about in theory, this topic is personal to me because it's something that I have personally dealt with. Some of you know part of this story that a few years ago, back in 2017, my left ear started ringing loud, really loud, out of the blue one day. And I was battling vertigo, I spent a night in the hospital at one point, and eventually was diagnosed with Meniere's disease, which doesn't have a cure, but there's symptoms like ringing in your ears. And as an outgrowth of that experience with a physical health thing, one of the things that I've told people before, it was the first time in my life where I couldn't just take some medication and was better in a day or two. I had to learn to deal with it. As a result of that experience with the physical health thing that my body was going through, I started dealing with anxiety for the first time in my life. And my chest would get tight, and I would have a hard time breathing couldn't sit at the kitchen table. At times, I struggled to be inside our house at all. Any space that I was in without windows became impossible to be in. And so places that for me had become really sacred spaces like in my office, which doesn't have a window, but where I do a lot of sermon preparation, impossible to sit there and do that. Places like prayer, being in a place where I would I would try to pray, impossible to be in that spot, in that space. In my house, which I consider to be a safe place, became a really difficult place to be because there's so much noise outside that none of us think about ever hearing. And when you go indoors, all that ambient noise goes away because of the walls and the doors that exist in those buildings, right? I was was weighed down and I was struggling. And, And through a series of things, not just one thing, I found a spiritual director. If you don't know what that is, we can talk about that at some time. Eventually, I met with a therapist. I have family and friends that supported and encouraged me and checked on me. I learned some resource, some healthy resources, like some breathing techniques and practices that helped me a lot. Some of you were around during the beginning of that journey, and you saw me, and you saw me even struggle with that. I remember standing right over here after church one day, and I didn't tell them I was going to tell this story, but I was talking to Kim Zaby and Cheryl Johnson, and Kim, being a nurse, in a concerned way said, you look like you've lost a lot of weight. And I had. I'd lost 10 or 15 pounds because I was so anxious and it was consuming me, and I didn't know what to do. It impacted me physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and it was around that time that I, you may remember the elders gave me some, a break from preaching, gave me a sabbatical, uh, which we have since instituted for as a practice for our staff. But dear, I tell you all of that to say that at, during my time away, I was able to find some ways to get quiet enough, and to, it mostly was outside, sitting in nature, and to listen and to be still and to rest, which are forms of prayer, I believe. They're, form, they're ways of putting Philippians 4 into, into real-life practice. Prayer helped me arrive at a better place, but it wasn't just talking to God, petitioning God. It was sitting with God. It was not trying to convince God of the things that I needed with my words and my prayer, which I can do, all of us can do, but being in God's presence and that being enough. And during that time away, one of the things that God impressed upon me, the Spirit of God, I believe, taught me was that I had spent years of my life grasping for control. And it turns out that while I was gone, Kaufman Church of Christ didn't need me. You all survived just fine. I thought that, you know, this church needed me to continue on. And it was like God gently reminded me, you know, Doug, Kaufman Church of Christ has been around about 100 years before you got on the scene. And it's going to be around a long time after you're on, or not on the scene. I got everything under control. right? And that was one of many lessons that I learned, but that was a really important one. And sometimes I think that is what praying looks like, like, right? That we we sit with God, less talking and more listening, being still and allowing God to meet you. And I I share that personal story with you today, friends, because I want you to hear me say that though this is a really powerful Bible verse, it is not just a powerful Bible verse. But I have found it to be actually true in my life. I'm not just preaching it to you. I'm telling you that I have found it to be true for me. Paul says that when you bring your weight the anxieties of life to God that what happens is the last part of that verse that the peace of God which transcends our human ability to understand or comprehend something spiritual will happen and that God will actually guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus I don't even have enough words or or capacity to be able to fully explain that part of the verse, but I believe it to be true. Amen? And lots of you have experienced that to be true. This peace that is tangible and real, it's of substance, it's the peace of God, not just peace from God, but that God's presence is with you, and it's beyond understanding. You don't have to understand everything. Those of us who like to understand everything about a situation, Paul says you don't have to understand everything about this situation in order for it to be true. We can experience this peace in the midst of unanswered questions or unanswerable experiences. And so this morning, my encouragement to you is that wherever you are on this journey, whether you have experienced something like anxiety or you are experiencing it or you know someone that has dealt with it in very serious ways, I want you to know that God has turned his face toward you. And this gives us the ability to carry on. Not because of our strength, not because of our ability or our power, but because we have a God that commits to walk with us every step of the way, never leaving or forsaking or turning his back on us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful this morning for... Uh, some time together in your word for these good and faithful promises that we read about in scripture. And we know that they don't always immediately fix every single thing that we experience, but we know and we believe, Father, that you are a God that is near. And we know that you are a God that hears us and that desires relationship with us and that promises, Father, that that we can experience through the anxieties of life that we deal with on a variety for a variety of reasons that we can experience true and lasting peace that, that is beyond human understanding but that guards our hearts and our minds in Jesus Christ and we're thankful for that truth for that promise. And this morning God I pray that you will use your words from scripture to encourage hearts to draw people toward you and toward your son, in whose name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to sing another song. I want to really encourage you to stay for class and for our panel discussion. It is going to be incredible. And, I, uh, and so we're going to sing a song, have our shepherd's prayer, and then we're going to uh, gather in here for our continuing this conversation around the topic of anxiety.